اوكي ان شاء الله ودون ستارت اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وسلم يا من ترانا وتسمعنا وتعلم حالنا ولا يخفى عليكم معرفتنا واحوالنا يا رب العالمين صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد النبي الامين واله وسلم اللهم رب ادخلنا في درسنا هذا مدخل صدق واخرجنا منه مخرج صدق واجعل اللهم لنا فيه من لدنك سلطانا نصيرا جاء الحق وذهق الباطل والباطل كان ذهوقا وصلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين الفاتح بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم صراط الذين انعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين امين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربي اوزعني ان اشكر نعمتك التي انعمت علي وعلى والدي ونعمل صالحا ترضى واصلح لي في ذريتي ان تبت اليك واني من المسلمين الحمد لله the week before last uh, we were discussing uh, the battle of uhud and the significance of that battle and the loss of some of the greatest companions who died in that battle, which were 70 of them, including Sayyidina Hamza, the uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And many people sometimes, they don't understand in their life. If we link the seerah to our living, our life personally, many times we don't understand the difficulties that we face. Many of us question the difficulties. Many of us become a little bit upset about it. In fact, some people sometimes say to me, I'm doing everything. I'm praying, I'm fasting, uh, I look after my family, I'm honest, I'm truthful, I'm following the deen. So why do I have difficulties? Not realizing difficulties, problems, are important in one's life so that you can improve in your journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you look at the bottle of Uhud, the Prophet sallallahu was confronted by the mushrikeen who were very angry in losing at Badr. Not just the loss of many of their people who died, but the loss of their position as a powerful entity in the Arabian Peninsula. And that the Muslims, according to them, were weak and has nothing. They have no power and they have no any resources that they can use to fight anybody else. So that's like an insult for them. And plus that, some of their greatest leaders died in that battle. Now, the loss of the Muslims in Uhud if you took it in the way of the test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it was for raising the standard of the ability of the companions to be able to appreciate any difficulty that they will face in the future. This is number one. Okay? And number two, there are two great lessons that they can gain from this loss while they are living with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the first one, the bad feeling that they had in their heart that they lost, and the loss of those people whom they love in the battle of Uhud, 
Allah has brought it after the joy and the happiness that they have received when they won in Badr. And this, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted them to realize and appreciate one day there will be a bigger loss in your life. And that loss will be the death of Sayyidina Muhammad How would you feel? If your loved one among your family, your friend or the companions who were strong like Hamza has passed away now, what will happen if the Prophet passed away? How are you going to feel? How are you going to react? Okay? And for this Allah revealed in the Quran in Surah Al-Imran, verse 153, and says, and he subhanahu wa ta'ala has tested you by bringing a little bit of sadness in your life for the loss that you have received. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended that you will not be sad upon that which you missed in your life or that which was inflicted upon you. And Allah is most informed, more aware about all that which you know. What does that literally mean? The bottle has finished. The loss has taken place. The feeling of sadness has entered into your hearts. And this sadness that has entered into your heart is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove the biggest sadness that might take place if suddenly you are confronted by the loss of the Prophet Allah knows and your knowledge is limited. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I know but you don't know. And then also, to make them appreciate and understand that if Rasulullah died, he is the messenger who brought the message the message will ever live and it will always be there. And if you remember in the seerah, and we will come to it at the end, when the Prophet ﷺ died, many people left Islam because they felt that's it, it's finished. And many people were questioning his death, until Abu Bakr Siddiq has said it loudly. Whosoever used to worship the Prophet, the Prophet has passed away. But whosoever used to worship Allah, Allah is alive and will ever be living. And for that reason, we need to take the message in this sense, that we, in our life as Muslims, we will always receive death from Allah. We need to be very careful how we receive them. And therefore, as much as we can in our daily routine and life, we need to tend to Allah by seeking refuge in Him, by asking forgiveness, and by making salawat for Rasulullah so our life can become easier. Okay? Allah wanted them to be strong in their aqidah, in their faith, and in inviting people to it in His life and after His life, without any hesitation. Therefore, He says, "A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan rajim wa Muhammadun illa rasulun qad khalat min qablihi rusul and Muhammad, peace be upon him, is only a messenger. Many messengers 
came before him. If he dies or being killed, would you turn your back onto the message? And whosoever turn his back onto the religion, he will never harm Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or reduce anything from this message. And Allah for sure will reward those who are grateful or thankful. Now in Uhud, a lot of the companions sat down because the news came that the Prophet is being killed. A lot of them. Until they were told to stand up and fight, the Prophet is alive. If you remember the lesson before last week. In our life today, we have a lot of things that we are attached to, we love, we care for. Sometimes, we lose some of those things. And many of us are dead inside. Even the worship becomes difficult for them. And that's sad. This verse tells us, even if Muhammad dies or being killed, we should never turn our back away from the religion. Because Allah is there. He's the messenger. He brought the message. We're grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in receiving the message through his hand, sallallahu alayhi wa and in him being the messenger to deliver this message to us, and we will not let him down by not letting ourselves down. We will work hard, we will strive to live with it, and to do our best to deliver it to others by our example, in our interaction. Therefore he said that din al-mu'amala, religion is interaction, being honest, being truthful, being kind, being generous, being helpful, being good. That's what he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wanted. But remember, if you turn Again is this message, you are only turning against yourself. You're not going to harm your Creator Almighty. You're not going to reduce anything of His kingdom, and for sure the message will remain. Many have left the message. Many have turned their back onto it. Have they harmed the message? Have they harmed Islam? Never. Islam have grown, and alaykum salam, and have went to a better position. than the time when the Prophet was alive because it was confined only to Mecca and Medina. But look at it today, from Indonesia okay, to Scandinavia, and from South Africa okay, to West Africa, to the Americas, everywhere in the world you will hear and you will see Islam being spoken about. Okay? In the third year of Hijrah, two tribes called Udal and Qarra they asked the Prophet wasallam to send someone to teach them the deen. To guide them into the message so that they can live it and deliver it to their people. The Prophet wasallam will never hesitate when somebody is asking about the religion. And here, the lesson for us from the seerah is that if anybody we come across who need our time for advice to do with the religion, let them be Muslims or not, we should. In fact, for a non-Muslim, it's greater. But for a Muslim, it's also great. One of the duties of the Muslim to his brother in Islam or sister, if they seek your counseling, you must counsel them. You must listen to them. If you can't deal with their problem, at least when you're here, you should direct them to somebody who can help them. قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حقوق المسلم على المسلم ست The right of the Muslim upon his brother in Islam are six. 
إذا لقيه سلم عليه When he meets him he must greet him وإذا عطف فحمد الله شمته If he sneezes and says Alhamdulillah you must seek mercy for him from Allah وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله مرحب ويلكم سيدي Okay And if he invites you you must accept his invitation if he seeks your counsel advice you must give them time to listen to their problem if they are sick you must visit them and if they die you must follow their janada or visit their family to show condolences or go to their grave and pray for them this is the message of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam for all the muslims regarding a muslim So one of the duties of the Muslim to his brother or sister in Islam, if they need your counsel, you must give time. Even if you cannot help, at least by listening, you can direct them to somebody else who can help them. Now for a non-Muslim, it's greater. It is said, if somebody non-Muslim is asking you about the religion, you should leave everything to adhere to them. And if your knowledge is limited to give them what they need, also to direct them. But for the one who is leading in the field, even if he's an imam standing on the member giving his khutbah, and someone says, I want to know about Allah, the khutbah should stop. Yes. And that person should be given, and if he accepts Islam, so that he will not miss the Jum'ah. Because none of you is a true believer until you love for your brother what you love for yourself. That is Islam. Look how beautiful it is. So when these two tribes came to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him, send us someone to teach, he did. Straight away, he didn't hesitate to send them. So Udallah and Al-Qarra said, Ya Rasulullah, ib'at lana man yu'allimuna. Okay. For Rasulullah then sent six to go and help them. Subhanallah, when they reached a place called Raji'ah, between a place called Usafan or Usfan and Mecca. Now, these are little places. Even Mecca itself was not that big. The men who were asking for the help for education, they surrounded the six companions who were supposed to teach them. And they said, look, we will give you our honor that we will not harm you, but we will capture you and hand you over to the Mushrikeen of Mecca. The brothers did not like to do that. So they felt it is their right to defend themselves rather than okay, submitting to their need or their request and giving themselves. They didn't give themselves. They began to fight. Once the fight took place, the brothers who were asking, they said, لَكُمْ عَهْدَ اللَّهُ مِثَاقَهُ نَقْتُلُكُمْ Put your guns or put your weapons down. You have the promise of Allah that we will not kill you. Just come with us. But still, the brothers, the Muslim brothers refused. And they fought. Three were killed from the Muslims. And then the rest, the three, gave up. They surrendered to them. They took them. While they're taking them in the way, one of them was already been hit so he could not survive he died in the way the other two were taken by those 
deceivers among the mushriks, and they were sold. The first one, his name was Hubayb ibn Uday, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was sold to a companion, or sorry, to a mushrik in Mecca called Hubayr. Okay? Hubayr, his father called Ihab, was fighting in the battle of Uhud and he was killed. So he wanted to take revenge. So this evil man took him and sold him so that he can be killed instead of his father. Okay? So Hubayr was bought by Hubayr so that inshallah his intention is to kill him on behalf of honoring his father Ihab. And they ibn Dathna, the second companion, was sold for Safwan, okay, other mushrik, so that he can kill him also to revenge for his father Umayyah ibn Khalaf. And everybody knows Umayyah ibn Khalaf, one of the big mushriks. Now, Zayd, when he was taken out of the haram to be killed, a lot of people gathered. Abu Sufyan came forth. Abu Sufyan said to him, Unshidak Allah, ya Zayd. Unshidak Allah, ya Zayd. Atuhibu anna Muhammadan indana al-an fi makanak wa inaka fi ahlik? I ask you and I beg you in the name of Allah or by the name of Allah. Would you love at this moment of time that in your position Muhammad sallam will be and that we're going to kill him and you will be with your family? He says, they, this is they said. Imagine, look at that man in that kind of position, wanted to kill. ما أحب أن محمدنا الآن في مكانه الذي هو فيه تصيبه شوكة. I would not even desire my Prophet Muhammad sallam in his place now in Medina where he's sitting that a thorn will harm him. A thorn will harm him, even there, not with me. Okay. And I'm sitting in my home. If I'm in Medina now, sitting with my family, and I hear that Muhammad Sallam has hurt him, it will hurt me. Leave alone, he's sitting in my place to be killed, and I'm sitting with my family. No. Then Abu Sufyan replied, ما رأيت من الناس أحدا يحب أحدا كحب أصحاب محمد لمحمد. I had never seen in humanity people who love someone like the companion of Muhammad Sallam loving Muhammad Sallam. What's the lesson here for us? The lesson for us, these were new men receiving a new message, just being tested. Few years. This is the third year of Hijrah. The 16th year, since Muhammad began the message. He began when he was 40, he was 56 now. And subhanAllah, they were so much in love with him and the message he delivered to them they are willing to give their life. They're willing to give their life. So we are living 1,400 years and more. We have seen generations of people who lived Islam and delivered the message rather than 313 fighting at the Battle of Badr. Today we have over a billion Muslims in the world. This is in itself an evidence that they have done the job. Would we put ourselves in the position of Zayd and feel the hurt Muhammad will feel even if a thorn hurt him? 
Would we give our life instead of his life, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? It can be said easily, but the only proof for that is when we are confronted by doing something Muhammad sallallahu loves, or keeping away from something that he disliked or hated or he has forbidden. Then that shows the true love. Because those men, they did exactly what he told them, والسلام, Okay? Then he was killed. May Allah give him the highest place in paradise because he's a shaheed. Khubayb, on the other hand, they brought him to be crucified, more than to be killed. Crucifixion was taking place at that time as a normal thing. He said to them, before they crucified him, and of course everybody was looking, people gathered, إِنْ رَأَيْتُمْ أَنْ if you can find it in your heart, I know that you're gonna do your job by crucifying me. I don't mind. Finish it. I accept the will of Allah. But if you can find it in your heart to give me the time to pray Turagat of Salah. What did they say? Do not. Okay, we permit you. Do your Salah. He prayed. He prayed them properly with total khushu' and took his time to recite whatever he needed to recite with utmost respect. Then he says, Amma wallahi lawla antadhunnu anni anna ma tawaltu jaza'an min al-qatli la saksatu min al-salah. By Allah Almighty God, if I did not think for a moment that you will think if I prayed longer, I was only prolonging my salah because I am frightened from death, I would have never come out of the salah. I was enjoying it. The lesson for us here as well, this is a man who is about to be put on the board to be crucified. He didn't worry he didn't get frightened. He didn't try to find the reason to tell him, look, he didn't reject his faith. He didn't do anything. The only thing that came to his mind, I want to pray, Torah guys. Why? I always often, when I'm reading this kind of example, I ask myself, why did he ask to pray Torah guys? Because the only thing the Prophet instilled in them that will always be of honor for them here and hereafter is Salah. Without Salah, there is no honor. That's why he says, The difference between them and us is Salah. So in that moment, when all those mushrikeen and hypocrites were gathered to witness him being crucified, praying to Raga'ah, saying, Allahu Akbar, he is different to them. He is with Allah, and they are not with Allah. That's the difference. Otherwise, they would not kill him. If they had a magnitude and of an atom weight of iman in their heart, they will not kill him. But they have nothing. They are dead inside. But he's alive. He's a man who knows what he means. And salah literally means a connection between the servant and the creator. Silatun bayna al-abdi wa rabbi. Okay? So he connected with Allah. But he said to them, I wouldn't have come out. Because at that moment, he gave himself to Allah in salah. Like the Prophet when he used to pray, Sometimes he prays, reading almost half of the Quran. Uthman ibn Affan used to pray the whole Quran in Turagat. 
in the night. This is the way they used to do. And then he said two verses of a poem. Immediately, Allah inspired him to say those. Beautiful. Subhanallah, how clever Allah has allowed him to say such words at that time. What did he say? I don't really care. As long as I am killed as a Muslim. And in fact, in saying these words to them, he's putting an arrow in their heart because they were trying him to leave Islam. If he left Islam, they will leave him. Every Muslim they capture, they taunt, okay? They mistreat, they abuse, they oppress, they torture like Bilal. Why? And they frighten by death. If you reject Muhammad وسلم, and his message, you can go free. He says no. So he recited those two verses to tell them that Islam is the best thing. Okay? I don't really care. As long as I am a witness that Allah is the creator and Muhammad is the messenger, kill me. I'm happy because I know where I'm going. Okay? Whether you crucify me, whether you hang me, whether you spear me, whether you throw an arrow at me, whatever form of death, bring it on. I am here for it. Okay? And this is, I am saying because it is for Allah. Okay? And if he will, subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you destroy my body and you cut it in pieces and you throw it or feed it to your dogs, he will bless this body and bring it forth and allow it to be blessed. That's the way a believer should believe. So the lesson for us is to always turn to Allah in salah when we are confronted with difficulties. When suddenly you open a letter and there is something that you did not expect, a problem, you failed a test you did, a call from the court for a case you didn't know about, a demand for money. People get very worried and angry and the whole family almost collapsed as if the world is going to end. And the person is sad, the people cry sometimes and they panic. Now, this is the man who's going to die. What did he ask? Salah. Immediately make wudu, go to your prayer mat, and pray to Raka'at. قال عمر بن الخطاب وقال عبد الله بن عمر الخطاب عبد الله بن عمر بن الخطاب سيد رضي الله عنهما قد تعلمنا من رسول الله We have learned from the messenger of Allah Whenever we are confronted by anything that worries us only we make wudu and we pray to Raka'at for Allah and ask refuge in him Seek his help That's it If you have the telephone number for the emergency that you require, you don't call somebody else, you just ring the number, 999, whatever. <laughs> That's the idea. If the call is to Allah, just go into Salah. Anything, I promise you by Allah, Allah will give you immediately what you want. If only people know. And mean it. And do it properly. You see? But, if you are somebody who does not pray his Salah in time, if you are somebody who does not really care about his salah and pray it with khushu'ah, if you are somebody who neglects his salah, if you are somebody who gathers his salah, somebody who prefers to do other things than their salah, imagine there are some people if they have a, an important appointment early morning, 
and they need to be there at 7 o'clock in the morning, so they have to wake up about 5 o'clock in the morning, they will wake up and they get ready and they get there. But if Fajr is 5 o'clock, oh, I can't read it. Difficult. The dunya is more important than the hereafter. So we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful where we make our choices and how we make our choices. So if you do your salah properly, you do it in time and pray it properly, Allah says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Successful are the believers. Who are they? الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Those who are humble in their salah. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَى صَلَوَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِظُونَ Those who will keep their salah always. Never miss it. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَى صَلَاتِهِمْ دَائِمُونَ وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَى صَلَاتِهِمْ دَائِمُونَ And those who will regularly do their salah in time. Why? Because salah is written. To be prayed in its written time. In the For those who believe, the prayer must be prayed in its time. If you miss it, you miss it. Not the same thing. A person who take an exam and pass it first time, it's not like the person who take a second exam when you fail the first. We know that. Doesn't make sense. So we need to be very careful. If you are steadfast in your salah and you are doing it properly, I promise you by Allah Almighty God, Whenever you are confronted by anything, you make your word and pray to Raga'ad and in the last sujood you ask Allah what you want, Allah will give it to you. And this is tried by all the good believing men and women. They got it and they said it. This is the way the Prophet told them. This is the best thing. Abu Hurairah said, Kana Rasulullah used to teach us istikhara, asking Allah the way out of things. As he used to teach us salah. These are the two things. You always ask Allah by istikhara. And you always link with Allah in salah so that you can get your answer immediately. And this is the best that we can do. <coughs> Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam, in the same year, he sent 70 men. Those six he sent, they all died. He sent 70 men because a man called Amir ibn Malik asked him, could you please send us men who can come and help our tribe to be introduced to Islam? So they went. Why I'm taking this example from the Sirah? Because if you are confronted by difficulty, you don't retreat. When I came to this country in the late 70s and we started doing da'wah, these places were not there. May Allah reward the elder generation, among especially the Asian, Indian, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, who were most of them workers, especially in the north, in factories. Wherever they lived, they would rent a house so that at least their children can learn some Quran. And there were not a lot of children, because many of them, their wives were back home, not here with them. And subhanAllah, then when they are in the, in the morning and in the evening, they can pray together jama'ah. And they used to work shift. And little by little until they become mosques. Where people gather and pray. And look, today we have all those mosques. The da'wah was easy. We never had any difficulty. But when we face difficulties, we confronted them with ease. But when I compare this to 11 September, or 7-7 in this country, subhanAllah, once this happened, some people wanted to change their way. There are some brothers that say, oh, look, 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 it's difficult. I need to shave my beard. Some women say, let me take my scarf because it's not good enough. 
People might recognize me as a Muslim. Why the fear? You didn't do the damage. You are not the terrorist or the evil person. Why are you frightened? So we need to take lesson. The Prophet whenever he was asked to carry on with the da'wah, he will never retreat. He will always go forward. Six are killed, 70 were asked for. He said, go. Inna Allah ma'ana. Indeed Allah is with us and he will never let us down. They went in the way there is a well, very well known, called Bir Ma'una. They stayed there. When they stayed there, a tribe called Bani Salim, they surrounded them. And they began to fight them. And the fighting was so sad because they were only 70 and there were too many. They managed to kill all of them except for one who remained alive. He was injured, but then he was managed to escape from there, called Ka'b ibn Zayd, who joined the Prophet in the battle of the ditch and fought with him and he was killed there. Now, did the Prophet then felt, no, we should stop the da'wah now because 70 were killed? No. He still insisted, we'll carry on. Whoever is asking us to know about the deen, we'll go. If Allah wills it, the message will reach them, they will become Muslim. If they don't and we die, we are with Allah. That's it. But we will not go out to fight people. So the idea of the Prophet making an army and going out and forcing the people by the sword to become Muslim, never. By Allah, never took place. Never. As I said last time, when Abu Sufyan let his army to come to do Uhud, or to fight him in Uhud, the Prophet said to the companion, will you stay in Medina? But they, then they said, no, 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 we need to meet him outside. Not in the city, we'll go outside. When they said that, he went to his house. Thinking, pondering. But when he came out, he said, okay, if you wish to go out, we'll fight outside. So this is something that we need to think about. He does not want to go out and fight. He wanted people to live in peace. He wanted people to accept one another. He wanted people to exist in realizing that everything is from Allah. And it is only him who can judge. None of us have the right to judge one another. Now, in this battle, a man called Jabir Ibn Salma shot another man called Haram Ibn Malhan with a spear. And this spear was between his two shoulder blades from a distance until the spear came out of his chest. Now, the mushrik who killed him, Jabbar, himself is relating this story and he says, I was listening to him after I have shot him and I could see my spear going between his two shoulder blades coming out of his chest in the front, I could see. So I went closer to hear what he's talking about and I could hear him saying, Fustu Kaaba. Fustu I have succeeded by the Lord of the Kaaba. He didn't understand. So he said in himself, he said, I said to myself, Ma fast. He did not win. Didn't I kill him? I am the winner. 
somebody who is being shot. And while the shot is that for everyone to see that he's going to die, to say, I'm a winner. No, the winner is the one who shot him. So he said, I went out to ask, why did he say such words? Is he crazy? Is he mad? So the people explained to him. He said what he said because according to his belief, if he's being killed, fighting for his faith and what he believes in, he's not dead. He's a martyr. For Allah said in the Quran, أعوذ بالله ترجم, ولا تحسبن الذين قتلوا في سبيل الله أموات بل أحيان عند ربهم يرزقون. Do not think for a moment those who were killed in the battle as martyrs are dead, but indeed are alive with their Lord sustained. And Ibn Abbas said to the companion when they asked him, he said, yes, their spirit will not be put in the barzakh, will be taken near the throne of God. And Allah will give them fresh new bodies with wings. And they can fly wherever they want to go, in the higher heavens, in the lower heavens, and they can come to the earth. And the Prophet himself used to say to the companion many times when he's sitting with them, Marhab ya Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, Marhab. And they used to say to him, Ja'far, Ja'far is dead, ya Rasulullah said, yes. Indeed, in the battle, both his arms were cut off, but indeed Allah has exchanged his arm by two wings, and he flies with the malaika when they are coming to the earth. He comes with them, and I see him. What a wonderful thing. This is the brother of Ali ibn Abi Talib, Ja'far ibn Abi Talib. What a wonderful thing. He was one of the first Muslims, he was sent at the spokesman of the Prophet to go to Abyssinia. Now, these are the kind of people we should look up to, we should want to be like, and we want to learn from them. You see? So this man says, I asked, and they said to me, look, they're not dead. This is what they believe. He said, I said, Fadha al-Amrillah. Fadha. He said, when I heard that, in my heart I felt, it's true. If he's going to have another life, indeed, he succeeded. He has passed from this world to a better world. He said, this became a reason for me to become a Muslim. A mushrik kills the Muslims. He hear him just saying a word, Fust Kaaba. I have succeeded by the Lord of the Kaaba. That made him to become a Muslim. Wow. So watch what you say. Watch what you say. For indeed in a lot of what we say could be a lesson for those who do not believe or those who are not following the path. But if we say the wrong things, may Allah help us if it will misguide them or mislead them. So we need to be very careful for that reason. Sayyidina Rasulullah in the same year, one of the tribes called Bani Amir, they're huge where I come from today. Because many, many tribes, when they started crossing the sea to come up, because there were a lot of troubles, this tribe it lives by the coast of the Red Sea of Sudan, and they're very famous. It is between the border of Eritrea and Sudan, called Bani Amir. They're camel owners. They're very, very noble people. Two of their men were killed by a tribe called Bani Nadir from the Jews, and we spoke about them. The Prophet took a delegation with him to go to them and try to find a solution. I had to say to them, look, 
pay them a deer, pay them something, rather than having these wars because you kill one and tit for tats and then battles take place. Nice. So he went. And between the Prophet and them, Bani Nadir, they had an agreement, a peace agreement, that they will not fight one another or stand with any enemy against the other. So when the Prophet told them he's coming, they promised him that inshallah they will welcome him and there will not be any problems and there will not be harm coming his way. But in their hearts, they were plotting against him, sallallahu When he was sitting with them in their area, he was sitting by a wall and his back to the wall, sallallahu and his companion was with him. Who was with him there? Abu Bakr Siddiq, Ali ibn Abi Talib, Usman ibn Affan. They were always accompanying him wherever he goes. He said the closest to him. They were all sitting. And imagine, if anything happened to him or them, that's it, because this, this is Islam. The four khulafa, we know them, and Rasulullah But he was always accompanying them, and the wisdom behind that, they can learn from the way he deal with things. Because Muhammad Sallam was not just a messenger and a prophet just teaching knowledge. He was the father. Hence, all of them are linked to him. You know that. Two of them, he is their son-in-law. And two of them, he is their father-in-law. Ali and Usman, he is the father-in-law. Married three of his daughters. Usman married two. And Ali married Fatima. And Umar and Abu Bakr Sadiq, Hafsa and Aisha were their daughters. And he married them. So he told them family and how to treat family and how to look after women. And so they knew everything. When it came to dealing with the worship in the mosque, they were there, taking the knowledge, teaching the knowledge, guiding the people in the knowledge, and following the example of Muhammad. In the market, he was with them. In the battle, to teach them how. In negotiation, he was everything, sallallahu alayhi wa He was a man fulfilling all the roles of somebody who's supposed to be a leader, alaykum salam. So they were there sitting, and he was sitting by the wall. They said, this is Bani Nadir, the Jews. They said, إِنَّكُمْ لَن تَجِدُ الرَّجُلْ عَلَى مِسْلِ حَالِهِ هَذِهِ You will never find Muhammad Sallam in a better position than the position he is in now in your land. فَمِنْ رَجُلٍ يَعْلُوا هَذَا الْبَيْتِ فَيُلْقِ عَلَيْهِ صَخْرًا فَيُرِيحْنَا مِنْهُ Is there any man amongst us who is courageous enough, powerful enough to climb above the roof and take a, a a big rock and throw it on his head and <coughs> relax us from his troubles. Look, they welcomed him, but yet. Yeah. Wa alaikum salam, my brother. Yes, I know that. And I, I was talking to Brother Yasser and I said to him, Inshallah, we will arrange to do it from next week. Is it Makrib now? Yeah. Is it Makrib now? No, no. Okay, okay. I, I, I promise you that this is okay. Because we agreed with Yasser, inshallah, from next week, we'll do it in the basement and then we come. 
Tell her not to be afraid. Tell her to come, inshallah. Tell her not to be afraid. In the haram in Mecca, my brother, around the Kaaba, the highest place, I walk in, my sisters, my mothers, we are doing it here like this, and I have been doing it for the last 22 years, because we want to teach the people. Astaghfirullah. <laughs> okay. Well, what is it, uh, Maghrib now? There is time. Okay? Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa sallim tasliman kathira. So they were hiding their feeling of wanting him to be eliminated sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and wanting somebody to climb up to do that. But while the Prophet was sitting, they didn't know who was mukhbar. He sallallahu alayhi wa is informed. He doesn't have security men. He doesn't have people standing there with walkie-talkies telling him, be cautious, be careful, taking him, running with him. Jibreel comes to him. So Jibreel straight away spoke to him, addressing, nobody could see that these people are planning to do something wicked against you, O Muhammad, and therefore, he, sallallahu alayhi asked Abu Bakr and Umar and Ali to get up. He said, let's go. And they got up, and he excused himself, and quickly he rushed out. Okay? He went back to Medina. He felt they have wronged him. He made an agreement with them. He made an agreement with them that he will never touch them from close or far. If anyone else wants to do any harm to them, he will stand by them. And they did the same. But yet he went to them to sort out their problem for killing two men from Bari Amir. They were plotting to kill him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he said to the companion, we need to deal with them. So he went and surrounded them with his companions. They used to be merchant businessmen. And even at that time, they were selling jewelry, diamond and gold. This is their business. They were very good at it. And the Prophet okay, was always good to them, but they were not good to him. So he surrounded them for six nights. This was in Rabi' al-Awwal, in the fourth year after Hijrah. They were so worried and frightened that he's going to destroy them. He wasn't going to kill them or anything. But he was trying to show them what you do is wrong. So they sent a delegation to him asking that to make peace by allowing them to leave. And they will leave the land. So he وسلم, accepted and asked them to leave. So they left with their wealth. But the Prophet وسلم, when they were coming out said to them, if you have weapons, you leave your weapon behind. So they left their weapon behind. Allah said about this in the Quran, I'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim, huwa alladhi akhraja alladhina kafaru min ahli al-kitabi min diyarihim li awwal al-hashr. It is he, Allah Almighty subhanahu wa ta'ala, who drove out the disbelievers from the people of the book. The disbelievers from the people of the book. Because if they really believe, they will not do what they did. Okay? From their homes, you never thought they will come out of that land. 
and they sought because they have fortress that will defend them again if the Muslims they will not be able to take them out Allah says in the Quran okay? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came across to them by putting fear in their heart they wanted to leave they didn't want to stay when they were coming out they were destroying their own homes one of them will tie his camel to the post of his door of his house and pull it down and the believers wiped away the rest they just cleaned it up and made it better for those who are okay, living there this is in Surah Al-Hajj some of them went to Khaybar some of them went to Sham and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran in Surah Al-Ahzab Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that position has saved the believers from fighting a war or a battle they wanted that but the prophet was not to fight he could have fought them he could have destroyed them he could have taken all their wealth but subhanallah anybody who said the prophet was going out of his way to fight and to kill to spread his deen is absolutely a liar because in this case these were people who were plotting against him and they helped the mushrikeen of Mecca Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. This is Adam downstairs? No. Can't be. <laughs> it can't be. Okay? So, subhanAllah, he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, allowed them, take your wealth, take your women, take your children. You want, they are, he didn't say leave. He didn't want them to leave. They said, can we leave? He said, leave. Because they knew they were wrong. Why did they leave? Because in their heart there was fear. And I'm going to finish here because Maghrib is coming now and then we can continue after Maghrib. Subhanallah, Whenever you are in a position of committing haram or doing haram or doing wrong, there will always be fear in your heart. The thief, while he's thieving, he's not comfortable. The one who is committing the haram while he's committing it, he is not sound inside with peace in his heart. There is fear in their heart. But. Okay, inshallah. Okay, she can come. Okay, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله الأمين محمد بن عبد الله وآله وصحبه وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي رب أوزعنا نشكر نعمتك التي أنعمت علي وعلى والدي ونعمل صالحا ترضى وأصلح لي في ذريتي إني تبت إليك وإني من المسلمين Now The Prophet صلى الله عليه وآله وصحبه وسلم As I was saying before we went for salah Never initiated a war whereby his intention was to force people to the faith the Prophet never had made an agreement with any group or any person, individual and that he went against his agreement the Prophet never wanted the people of different faith or people who have no faith to have trouble between themselves and in Mecca he lived in peace in fact when the trouble came from the other side, he encouraged the companion rather than fighting to leave. First to Abyssinia, then to Medina. And when he was in Medina, he realized there are three tribes from the Jews living there. And he realized, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there are Arabs who are living who are not Muslim. He lived with them in peace. There were also Christians at that time. With all of them, 
he had no problems. He wanted. But in this case of Bani Nadir, okay, when he went to them to try to sort out their problem with the two deceased from Bani Amir or those two young men who were killed, they were plotting against him. So he wanted to show them that if you make an agreement, you cannot break it. So he surrounded their people for six nights until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put fear in their heart. But his intention was not to do anything, but for them to understand that you should not do what you do once you make an agreement. And this is a sign of hypocrisy. Okay? In two different versions of the hadith, either there are three qualities for a munafiq or there are four qualities. When you talk about the three qualities, when he speaks, he lies. When he promises, he breaks his promise. Okay? When you trust him, he will break his trust. No amana. And indeed, the one whom you cannot trust, as the Prophet said in the hadith three times, cannot have faith, cannot be a believer. The one who cannot be trusted has surely no faith in their heart. But he added in the second version of the hadith, a fourth one, when they make a mu'ahada, when they make an agreement, they will stab you in the back. They will go against what they agreed. So in this sense, they shown a sign of hypocrisy from themselves. Not the people themselves, but those who made the agreement, the, the leaders who encouraged somebody to kill the Prophet And after six nights, then the Prophet received a delegation from them saying, we will move. Just allow us to move. And he allowed them. And he allowed them to take their wealth, their families, their children. And when they were leaving, they were destroying their own homes. Okay, they were destroying their own homes. And it is described in the Sirah that one of them will tie the rope or, and pull with his camel, okay, the pillars of the front of the house so that it can all collapse. And then the, the believers just took everything. They didn't want to leave anything behind. And this is something that we need to think about seriously, you see. Because the Prophet ﷺ never intended to harm anybody. And the idea here, when he let them go, the only thing he said them to leave behind is their weapons. Take your wealth. We don't want anything from you and your families. Now, in the year force of Hijrah, the same year, he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam traveled with some of his companions to Najd. If you come to the west where Mecca and Medina is, this is called Hijaz. If you go to Ta'if, okay, and the rest of the east of Saudi Arabia, that is called Najd. That is by the Arabian Gulf. And this is by the Red Sea. So that is Najd. And this is Hijaz. So he traveled from the west to the east to the area of Najd. And he was trying to help and support the people there by putting his message across. He stayed under some palm trees. But subhanallah, because he didn't have the resources to travel such a long journey and to keep everybody looked after and cared for, it is reported that six men will be sharing one camel. Maybe two will be riding, four will be following. Then they will change like that. In fact, it is reported that some of them were so sick in the journey because it was hard to travel in that harsh terrain of Saudi Arabia. Okay? Now, 
One of those men who is very famous, Abu Musa al-Aj'ari, he reported a lot of the hadith for Rasulullah He said reportingly, some of the companions, when you look at their feet, you'll be shocked because their shoes were destroyed and they were walking barefooted and the land was not easy on their feet. It was really harsh. So there are holes in some of the companions' feet and they were getting very skinny and getting very tired from the journey. Some of them, their nails came out okay, from the journey and whatever happened to them. And many of them, because of that tough journey, they began to rip from their clothes to wrap around their feet so that they are able to walk in that heat and in that harsh okay, condition that they were in. And therefore, for that reason, this battle, the Prophet fought with the Mushrikeen who fought him there, called Ghazwat Zat al-Riqa'a. Ghazwat Zat al-Riqa'a. Okay? Al-Riqa'a meaning the covering. Okay? That which will cover the empty areas that need to be covered. People from Najd approached those poor Muslims who were coming and they were suffering but every time they approach them to find them, they find it hard. Something is there happening, but they cannot see. And the Muslims would not attack them because they didn't come to fight a battle. So somehow, not one single drop of blood was shed. Okay, The Prophet came to invite people to Islam. He did not come to fight, so nothing happened. People were coming closer. People were okay, eyeing one another. People were trying to and they see a way through which they can attack, do, but nothing happened. The Muslims, because they were in a weaker position, and the people of Najd were in their land, and they know their land well, they were more powerful. Some of the Muslims were very, very frightened. And remember, all those journeys of spreading Islam, all those trips of spreading the teaching, whether they went by themselves for being called for, they were not successful. The sixth were killed, the seventy were killed, only one left. So people were frightened. That means maybe the same thing here will happen to them. Most of them, or maybe all of them, they will die. So, so much fear was in their heart. What did the Prophet do? What did he act upon at that time? What brought them together, gave them a hard token? motivated them and uh, it's what we do today let's give let's let give the student a motivational talk let's give the group with all these new kind of phrases he didn't do that you know what he did he taught them salat al-khawf that the first time this salah being initiated the prayer of fear salat al-khawf and this can only consolidate one thing that for everything you confront you are confronted with in your life that bring trouble to your way, there is a test in it, the best way out of it is prayer. You sin, Salat al-Tawbah. You are not quite sure which direction to take, Salat al-Istikhara. You don't have rain coming, you are feeling drought, Salat al-Istizqa. You are in need of something, but it's difficult, Salat al-Hajjah. Anything, everything you think of, Salat. And I can't say this more than this. Please, whenever you find yourself in a position whereby you need something, you want something, there's something difficult, somebody ring you, there's somebody who's sick, get up and pray. 
Salah. Once you do two rak'ahs of Salah, by the intention that you have, I promise you by Allah, you open the door with Allah. And Allah will never turn you down. Here also to tell us that Salah is only a key. Salah is only a key. What you do after the Salah is the most important thing. What do you do after the Salah? Dhikr. Remembering Allah. The tasbih that you do. The glorification that you do. The forgiveness that you seek. The gratitude that you show. Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar. All this is required. Allah said to the Prophet sallallahu And from the night. Not all the night, but from the night. Pray sometime. But when it comes to dhikr, وَسَبِّحُ لَيْلًا طَوِيلًا وَسَبِّحُ لَيْلًا طَوِيلًا But don't, don't finish your prayer and that's it is done. Keep glorifying Allah as long as you can. In another verse, Allah said to him, وَإِنَّ لَكَ فِي النَّهَارِ سَبَحًا طَوِيلًا And during the day, because the day is long and you are fresh, refreshed after you slept and you got up, you are strong. Keep remembering Allah as much as you can. Never stop the dhikr of Allah from your time. Never. All the time keep mentioning Allah by your name. Either subhanallah or alhamdulillah or la ilaha illallah or Allahu Akbar or astaghfirullah. Anything. And for every condition you find yourself in, there is a dhikr. Always. Never go without that. And this is what the Prophet told the companion at that time. فَعَلَّمُهُمُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى الْخَوْفِ They prayed it. So next time when suddenly you are confronted by something frightening you, straight away go and pray. And Allah will remove the fear. A secret of the Quran of removing fear from the heart immediately. And this is tried. I'm saying it. Men who taught us this thing, they tried them and their mashayikh learned them and practiced them and benefited from them and they were taught by the Prophet that if you want to really pray Salat al-Khawf you recite two rak'ahs in the first rak'ah Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim al-Fatiha and then in the second rak'ah Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Quraysh li'ilafi Quraysh ilafihim rihlata shita'i wassayf okay li'ilafi Quraysh ilafihim rihlata shita'i wassayf فليعبدوا رب هذا البيت. If you think about it, فليعبدوا ربها. They should worship the Lord of this house. What's the most important worship that is linked to the house? It's Salah. عليكم السلام. فليعبدوا رب هذا البيت الذي أضعمهم من جوع. The one who fed them when they are hungry. وآمنهم من خوف. And secure them from fear. So read this in the first raga'ah and the same thing in the second raga'ah. When you finish, look at the men of dhikr, what they know. They make istighfar because they know that they're wrong. So they make istighfar. And istighfar, as I said, minimum is a hundred times. Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, or astaghfirullah al-azim, or astaghfirullah al-azim al-adhi At least just a hundred times. And then you make salawat to open the door. Ya ayuhal amanu. صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد وسلم or any other صيغه any other narration of salah once you finish your salah 
then straight away you recite اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لإله قريش and you keep reciting the surah to the end when you come to the last verse وآمنهم من خوف just keep repeating it and if you want to give yourself a duration of time to keep repeating it or, or a limit of time repeat it 313 times so that at least you know you're going to repeat it many times so that Allah can put peace in your heart and by Allah Almighty God you will always feel secure you will feel good because no one who will remember Allah only that Allah will remember them he said in the Quran do you remember me then I will remember you so suspect the best from your Lord if he promised you he will never break a promise but how many times we promise him and we break our promises? How many times? So we need to be careful not to indulge but in that which the Prophet taught us. So salah is for everything. When they came back from the Ghazwa, okay, they found some trees in the way before they entered Medina and they were resting. Everybody was asleep because they were tired and they were and the Prophet ﷺ, by himself found a, a good shade under a tree and he lied down. But before he lied down, he took his sword and hanged it up. There are some sunan that are very, very important. And we need to always watch them. If you are traveling in a place whereby there is insects or animals that can harm you, you should always have a stick and put it close to you. You understand? Somebody said to me yesterday, I read somewhere, whenever you pray, always should put a, a stick, a stick on the ground before you. Is this anywhere? So I need to get a stick in London and do that as well? So I said, no. This you do so that nobody can cross with your salah. But in, it is mentioned a stick because people in the desert, they always carry a stick. Because there are snakes, scorpions, and many difficult wild dogs. There. So you have a stick in your hand. They always, everywhere they carry a stick in their hand. Sometimes there is a lot of things that you need to remove, but you need something strong to remove it with. So when they come to pray, they put it in front of them. But rather than put it on the floor like that, they stick it like that. So if there is anything, they can easily take it out. But it doesn't mean I'm living in London, I come to the mosque, and I'm sitting at home, I have a put a stick in front of me. Does it make sense? I can put anything, just if I'm praying, okay? Or find a place that is the furthest from the path of people and pray so that nobody can cross in front of you. That is the idea. So the Prophet hanged his sword, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he slept. And he's lying. And you know he does not sleep inside. He only sleeps physically. His eyes are asleep. Closed. And this nomad came. And it was an amazing moment for him because he could see the Prophet ﷺ. He recognized this Prophet ﷺ, And he knew he can gain a lot by either destroying him or capturing him. And when he saw the sword, he felt even happier. So he took the sword out. And he was holding it in his hand. 
أن أذتم من صلى الله عليه وسلم ووكب وأن رسول الله وسلم ووكب he didn't panic he didn't get frightened he just kept repeating his zikr that he always repeat and because he was reading and the man was looking at him and he's not panicked or frightened or the man looking at the Prophet staying put like a mountain, no fear, but yet remembering Allah, he began to shake. So much he was shaking, the sword fell from his hand. The Prophet took the sword. Now, the Prophet called the companions when they woke up. And they were, he could see them sitting up. He called them. They came, all of them. They saw the man sitting in the Prophet. The Prophet said to him, Do you know who is this man? He said, No, Ya Rasulullah, we don't know who he is. He said, Tell them. The man says, By Allah Almighty God, I came here and I saw Muhammad and I recognized him and I know. I can gain a lot by capturing him or killing him. And when I saw him in that position, and I saw his sword, I felt even happy I took it to either capture him or kill him. So at that moment, I felt good. When he woke up and sat, immediately I said to him, Man Who's going to now stop you from me destroying you or killing you? He said, by looking at him and there's no fear in his face and just reciting whatever he's reciting something went into my heart and I was so much frightened I was shivering the sword fell from my hand he took it up and then he asked me the same question and he said to me Man so the Prophet said to the command said the only thing I said to him is Allah nothing else so imagine, because he is mentioning Allah's name in his tongue, when the man is watching, Allah is putting the fear in his heart and the sword is falling. When he is asking him, who will save you from me? The only thing could say Allah. Who else but Allah? So we need to think of that. At the time of fear, at the time of difficulty, think. But are you remembering him? Are you thinking of him? Is he in your heart? Is he in your thoughts? If he is there, he will be with you. Straight away. As he was for Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. The Prophet said to the companion, I only asked him to sit with me because I was asking him. And he, always when you meet nomads, it's nice to talk to them. They are very strange people. They have strange habits and things. Seriously. Once they do something, they just do it. They love their animals. They love nature. But they have got their own kind of thoughts. I see. So I used to, as a young person, I used to sit with them and ask them. And I remember uh, my father used to be a, a merchant who sells salt. And the salt is bought by the camel traders. And these nomads, they own camels. And one of them will own 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 camels. And a camel is very expensive. The cheapest camel today you can buy, maybe $1,000 or more. They are very rich people. But they will never buy anything. They only live in tents. Everything they eat and drink is from the camels themselves. So this man used to come and sit next to me and he will buy a lot of salt, maybe a train load of salt from me. I was young. My dad used to sit, me, sit down and fill the invoice 
And he was, you will show me how to do it. And the man will not sit on the chair, he will sit on the ground. And he will look like that. And my dad will say to him, what are you doing? He said, how does he do that? Where did he learn to do that? <laughs> my dad said to him, well, you can go to school, but I have many of them. They don't know how to do these things. You can bring them, we'll teach them. And subhanAllah, he brought one of his sons who lived with us, he became a medical doctor. Yeah. And he used to be so happy. And then my dad said to him one time, why don't you go to Hajj? He said, oh, who will look after my camels? <laughs> and after a long time, my dad managed to convince him, and he went to Hajj, alhamdulillah. They, they will die for the camel. If one camel is ill, he will be sitting crying. If the camels are healthy and good, he's so happy. So this is a condition. The Prophet was talking to the man and sitting with him. I, I could imagine from what I used to see and hear from those, how simple they are. So the Prophet said to him, you know, you are free. But I want to wrong you. No punishment. He said, no, no. We don't punish anybody. Did you do anything to me? He said, no. He said, well, it is me and you. I forgive you. And because of that, many of those people will always embrace Islam. Imagine in our time now, when we are confronted by people who are ignorant in the bus, in the train, and they look at us as foreigners, they call us names, they discriminate against us. Rather than us swearing at them or telling them rude things or fighting them or trying to show them who we are or putting our head up to fight them, just humbling ourselves before them, realizing what they say is coming out of ignorance. And if we are true believers, we have the light. Which light? The light of Muhammad, of the faith that he brought to us. Then I promise you, they will become Muslims. I have seen many examples of this kind of treatment in this country, not anywhere else. I can really tell you many stories of people who embrace Islam just because of the treatment they receive. But how many times people are put off? Because of somebody who's ignorant, thinking that he's doing Islam a favor by saying the wrong things or doing the wrong thing. In Sha'ban, the same year, remember this happened in Rabi' al-Awwal, but in Sha'ban, the same year, okay? Rasulullah did not forget what Abu Sufyan says. Next year after Uhud, Ya Rasulullah, we're going to meet. But this time we'll meet you in Badr. We won in Uhud. We're going to meet in Badr, inshallah, again, because we want to revenge for Badr in Badr itself. So the Prophet, when the time came, he gathered all the companions. He said to them, Abu Sufyan promised to come to fight us, to revenge for Badr. Let's go to Badr. So he gathers his companion and they travel. And he stayed there for eight nights waiting for Abu Sufyan to come. Abu Sufyan left Mecca with his army to come to fight Muhammad. Somehow, something happened. He decided not to come. And he returned back to Mecca. Only Allah knows why he returned back. But I know for a fact the Prophet ﷺ was inspired that time to go and wait for him there. And if he arrived, the Muslim would have had the most magnificent okay, victory in their life. Because really at that time, they were not really worried about anything. They were only worried about spreading the goodness that they have to others. Teaching people right from wrong giving them the knowledge that Allah is one and he should be worshipped. The idols are not the way forward. Faith can never be made by man, but faith is from the, 
creator almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for that reason, okay, Abu Sufyan, I think, went. And then he says, when he was going back to the people with him, Okay? This here, that I came and brought you to fight the Prophet is a drought here. And I don't really want to bring more destruction to my community. And God will save us from shedding blood this year. And I don't want to fight. Okay? And the Prophet thereafter, he went to a place called Duma, a place called Al-Jandal, and he talked to the people there, delivered his message, nobody fought him, he never fought anybody, everything was smooth. All those things until, okay, the next stage, inshallah. I'm going to stop here, and inshallah, in the next week lesson, we'll discuss further, inshallah, this message. Uh,